welcome back to More Than A Lucky Jumper. This week is jam-packed with issues, stress, burnout, toxic work environments, how to give feedback. There's a short diversion into a story about Bobby's underwear, but we focus mainly on why communities play such an important role in thriving in the workplace. So come join us in Being In Community. Hi and welcome once again to More Than A Lumpy Jumper with Bobby and Bridge. Today we're going to be talking about toxic workplaces and community, i.e. community being one of the solutions or one of the mitigation factors in toxic workplaces. Now, Bobby, when we were discussing getting ready for this particular bit of the podcast, you told me that you don't think you've ever experienced working in a toxic workplace. No. So when you give your description about a toxic community, a toxic workplace, I know for definite that I've been in stressful situations, been under pressure. There's been some odd behaviours. But I think with the way that you describe toxic workplaces around that consistency of disparaging, derogatory, negativity, and, and all of the other things that we can talk about, about what make up a toxic environment, when you actually load all of that together, I'm not convinced. Uh, And I may well have my mind changed when we actually get more into the discussion. But when I think about the places I worked, I think I am very grateful that I don't ever remember or believe that I've experienced some of the ways that you've described that you may well have been in. So, yeah, and I think the reality is that I certainly hope that the majority of people have not worked in a toxic work environment. And when I talk about toxicity, I think we need to be clear that I'm not talking about difficult work conditions or stressful work conditions or working under pressure to time constraints or all of the things that we all experience at some period of time during our working life. When I talk about toxic work environments, I'm really talking about, as you say, that consistency of where your psychological safety and the elements of trust in a workplace are so eroded so consistently that it impacts on relationships within the workplace or you you don't feel safe pushing back against bad behaviour, you don't feel safe to make mistakes, you don't feel safe to admit mistakes, you don't feel safe expressing new ideas. And also that level of disrespect that you experience is such that it begins to impact on your health. You might have Mm. panic attacks, you might feel increased blood pressure, you dread going into work, it impacts your sleep, it impacts your relationships outside of work. And yes, absolutely. I certainly hope that the majority of people do not experience that. But the discussion about toxic behaviour or toxic workplaces, we see it in the news pretty much yeah. every day now. <clears throat> and while maybe not all of the examples are of a bona fide toxic workplace, it is a, a discussion that we need to have because I really, truly believe that toxicity comes from leadership. Yeah. And I think that even whilst we're going to be in the conversation, I am going to keep reflecting on my experience because talking about a toxic workplace has in my mind that it's happening everywhere, that it's symptomatic, systematic. And I guess from my experience, I have had to work with people who don't feel psychological safe in the workplace that I'm in but I might not be having the same experience of them. And so I think it's leaving me questioning as we're having the conversation 
about is it a whole workplace? Is it particular pockets within the workplace? Is it particular managers, particular bosses, particular leaders? And I guess I'm sitting here reflecting, thinking, have some of the places that I've worked in where I've been senior management, have I been blind? I don't, I'm sitting here like partially worried about that, but don't think that I have, but do know that there have been pockets where people, I've never had anyone talking about their psychological safety, but I have had people talking about their bosses toxic um, and they can't work with them and what have you. And I think that you were saying when we were heading into this that you've had experience or examples where you may well have felt toxicity from a leader and yet speaking to people who know them from a different environment don't have that same experience of that person and i think that's where i'm reflecting in it that is it the same for everyone because i think what you're saying is that from your experience it's systemic that it is everywhere i think that it, generally if you're talking about a toxic workplace it is that that more than one person is yeah. experiencing that However, that doesn't mean that there are not um, maybe toxic bosses. And, and then in terms of how the organisation deals with that, in some organisations they will turn a blind eye and do that, oh, that's just that person. Oh, oh, yeah. That's just, you know, that's their little foible, that's their little quirk, rather than addressing the fact that the behaviour is disrespectful, is bullying, or is impacting on the deliverables and the productivity within the organisation yeah. and is diminishing the ability for people to create or solve problems or in fact is causing retention issues and, and for all of those I mean quite frankly if an organisation sees that they have a leader within their organisation who is causing any of those things that is a performance issue and potentially is a time to move that person for sure and I think that's when it does become systemic because mm. behaviours like that with no consequences, one person will say it and then somebody else will say, oh, yeah, actually, I've had exactly the mm. same experience. And it can, continues to go unchecked. More people will actually be in that same mode about what's actually happening from a leadership perspective in an organisation. I wrote something on LinkedIn a while ago when a Tory MP was accused of bullying and there was a report into it that found that there had been elements of bullying in the behaviour. And Dominic Rabb, who was the MP, or was a minister actually, who, who was named, he really rejected that narrative. And I just found it very interesting that while he didn't ever deny any of the behaviours had happened, he said he felt that it wasn't bullying, one, because nobody had been <laughs> being punched or hit um, which was extraordinary that that was the, the bar that was being set that physical brutality was just the bar that we should be looking at but also he didn't deny other behaviours such as being highly critical publicly humiliating people had been shouted and screamed at and quite frankly whether or not that fits with an HR definition of bullying or not, or a legal definition of bullying. But it's psychological bullying. Of course. I Personally, I would say that is bullying, but that yes. he was quibbling as a lawyer about a definition. Yeah. And regardless of that definition, he didn't seem to grasp that type of behaviour is unacceptable, regardless of whether Absolutely. it's illegal. Mm. And how he felt, he justified that, well, this is a tough environment I was holding people to account there was no self-reflection in that to say maybe I could be doing this di yeah. different ways because my question was when when he made these statements was 
How is it then that other leaders, other ministers, seem to manage their departments without this type of behaviour? Mm-hmm. He seemed to be suggesting it was the only way to get productivity to get things done. And, and again, it just made absolutely no sense to me. And it did then make me think that really is this, this sort of patriarchal idea of a of a leader having to be strong, having to be forceful, having to push. And there didn't seem to be any recognition of empathy, support, encouragement. The old adage that you, you praise in public and you berate in private. Yeah. Again, screaming at someone in a meeting because something hasn't been done the way you wanted it. Really, wow. as a leader, you should be looking at yourself and going, did I communicate what I actually wanted? And we've had that discussion, we've discussed mm. that piece. Is there something I could have done differently to get a better result out of this person, this human being? And again, we've been talking about that, but there didn't seem to be any recognition either of humanity, empathy, things that I, I find annoyingly called soft skills. And I just think they're anything but soft because they're difficult. It's difficult to help and nurture but that's what we're supposed to be doing with our people, not treating them like some kind of machine that you put something in and you get something out. And if it doesn't work, you hit it with a hammer. Yeah. The word that comes up for me, and I absolutely agree with you, referring to them as soft skills, you know, for want of a better word, is utter bollocks. Because they are skills that need to be practised a lot. And they are the skills of resilient people. Mm. It's too easy to flail around and shout and, and everything else besides and vent and it coming from a very emotional place. And I'm not suggesting that those things of empathy and nurturing and kindness are not um, with emotion, but they're in check. They're grounded, they're centered. You understand yourself as much as the other person. And you're bringing that into the room to, to support, which is as far from toxicity as you can possibly imagine. i tell you what it puts me in mind of as well, carrot and stick, the whole military piece around that, having somebody who's very much the stick so that becomes almost like the common enemy so that you can create good things in teams. Because I think one of the things that you said to me about some of the safety things to do if you are working in a toxic environment other than creating your exit plan is around finding those people that you can trust. And sometimes that's quite tricky. But I think that also aligns to the carrot and stick. I'm wondering what you think of carrot and stick. Yeah, I did some research recently for another piece I was writing about positive and negative feedback. And so there's a whole piece about how we give feedback and when and why. And it it all links in again to communication, which I do is a sort of running theme throughout. Absolutely, It's a basic skill. When I say basic, I'm not saying it's easy, but it is a fundamental skill that every leader needs on many, many levels. And it came across a piece of research, and I might have to put it in the link later because I can't remember off the top of my head who did the research, but it found that for every one piece of negative feedback, that people need five to six pieces of positive feedback. And that in actual fact, there are some schools of thought that would say that positive feedback drives more change than negative feedback. So for example, I can't remember the organisation, it might have been Google, because Google's done a lot of work on these leadership and communication pieces, where they focus on positive feedback. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you're new and you're moving into into a new post, rather than constantly being told, even in a nice way, oh, you're doing that wrong, oh, this needs to change, it's actually when they do it right, so you explain to them how they do it, and even if they do a bit of it right, you go, yeah, that's exactly what we need from you. So it's 
reinforcing the behavior that you're doing right rather than constantly picking away at the little things that you do wrong and it then creates this sense of psychological safety people feel validated and then they can have the security to be able to say okay i'm still not quite sure about this bit and and it also drives some self-reflection on the part of the person who's working as well as the leader and that's another thing that we've been talking about a lot is a real strength self-reflecting yeah I'm not, I don't mean that of beating yourself up about, oh God, I did this wrong, I did this wrong, which, you know, I know historically I've had a tendency yeah. to do, but it is this ability to be able to go, okay, so how did that go? A, a little bit of feedback for yourself yeah, and to go, yeah, actually that worked well. I still need to develop that bit a bit. Or yeah, I know that this is not my forte. I need to get someone else to come and do that bit because if you leave it to me, it will be fucked up. <laughs> yes. We've been talking about detail and finishing, yeah. not either of our strongest traits. And therefore, when we build a team, we know we have to include someone who's strong on detail. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I know for myself, the whole carrot stick bit when we were in the military, I can really remember all the stick conversations. <laughs> And I can't remember one carrot one when I put my mind to it. And that's not necessarily about the person. That's much about me. I'm interested to know what you think with that, because, you know, that element about in toxic workplaces, who's bringing what to the party, to that toxic party? Yeah, I think that for me, though, I think it's really important that in this particular circumstance, there's a dynamic And the dynamic of power, that's where the ability to manage toxicity is. I think it's very difficult to manage or change toxic behaviour from a position of less power. Yes. If the leader, let's use that word for the moment, um, if the leader is either turning a blind eye to it and thereby effectively facilitating it or enabling it is is the better word, or is the person from whom... It's been generated. Of the toxicity. Because I was interested in your reflection on the military, actually, because when you said it, I suddenly was like, yeah, I can't remember being told I did anything. (laughs) Maybe that was because I was shit. um, (laughs) I I, I must have been able to do something well. Um, And I just, yeah, it was overwhelmingly this process of, I'm actually just popping into my head is show parades and a very oh. funny story about you and a show parade, which I don't know whether you want me to Oh, you listen, you might as well, because somebody else might write it in now that you've said it. Every morning we'd be inspected and we're supposed to have everything ironed and polished and everything else. And our rooms would be inspected on occasions as well. And we used to wear stockings under our uniform. Oh, we were so young. With our skirts, your little skirts and polished little black shoes and we used to wear stockings and we were supposed to wear tights because it was our one little bit of actual rebellion. rebellion and also we were being a bit saucy I think but this is um, going to turn into a very difficult podcast <laughs> if we're not yeah, careful just, but we regularly got pulled up for not living up to the right expectation of shininess or ironedness or cleanliness in terms of our rooms and we'd have a thing called a show parade in the evening which took up your free time and meant that you had to do a whole lot more polishing and ironing and they were held by one of the directing staff, so either a female staff sergeant or one of the male colour sergeants. And they were mixed, so there'd be male cadets and female cadets who had not lived up to the expectations and they'd all be stood to attention. Bobby got pulled up in the morning for not wearing same coloured stockings because 
staff had noticed that one of your legs was slightly darker than yeah. the other, I think, because when we wash stockings, you wouldn't necessarily always get the right pair together. And didn't really click on the, you should be wearing tights. And she, it was just not wearing the same coloured stockings. Bobby then was like, I'm sitting here, you are. And it was a male colour son. I do feel terribly sorry for him. Whoever you are, I'm really sorry. With our uniform, we had a little sort of peaked green hat. We were supposed to wear a little green skirt, tights, polished little black flat shoes, a white shirt with a little sort of little tie thing. thing. But we also had these big green Macs. And so Bobby was like, okay, I'm just going to show stockings. And she put on a pair of stockings with her little suspender belt, some underwear and the shoes, and then just the Mac uh, <laughs> and her peaked cap. And of course, the rumours got around that this was going to happen. And so there were far more people coming to watch the show parade, particularly male cadets, oh. than uh, I think I'd ever seen at a show parade. And the colour sergeant marched on. We, of course, are all stood to attention. And he walked through it and the air of expectation. And he just did the show parade. And then he got to Bobby and he turned around and he just was like, he put his hands on his face and he just said, ma'am, I may regret this for the rest of my life. And he said, I know I'm going to disappoint everybody here, but I am not letting you show today. <laughs> and he just, then he dismissed the rest of us and just walked off to jeers by everybody. Because I think he knew he'd have been bloody sacked if he'd been flashed by I, you. I'm just trying to remember the consequences of my actions. I think I was in quite a lot of trouble. <laughs> surely, I was in, surely I was in a lot of trouble. And causing the poor bloke so much embarrassment, but it did seem very funny at the yeah. time. I think we did have a slightly warped sense of humour. We, we, we did. Trauma humour. And so you wonder why there were no character... I'm now sitting yeah. here going, of course there were no character comments, if that's how I was behaving. God, alive. And so, yeah, so a massive digression. My apologies for <laughs> the discussions about toxic workplaces. But I think if you do find yourself in that sort of toxic work situation, not in a situation where you are being threatened by being flashed by Bobby, <laughs> that I think that all of the advice is you need to get out. Mm. But it's not always possible. I think, you know, we all have jobs. We all have mortgages, rent, kids to take to school, whatever. And it's not always a possibility immediately. My firm advice to anybody who ever finds themselves in a truly toxic work environment where it's impacting their health or their relationships is to make an exit plan. Yeah. So start applying for other jobs. And then you need to find ways to cope while you are finding ways to escape. I think that when we've talked about this, we've riffed on this a little bit in preparation. One of the things that is really important is community. And the reason for that is twofold, because one, often in toxic work environments, community is eroded yeah. because once the trust and that psychological safety doesn't exist, it also impacts on your relationship with coworkers who are also in that trauma, also trying to find the best way to protect themselves. And it can prevent trust between co-workers. But secondly, because community is so important to find a support network. And you're going to talk, I think, a little bit about why community is so important yeah. and why and, and what the benefits are of a community. The other thing that I'd say on that as well, which has just popped into my head, whilst not necessarily a toxic workplace, I have been all too often in organisations that are restructuring or where redundancies are going to be required and of course, that brings up all sorts of things for a number of people. But I've often heard the word used with that because that also does something about eroding community because people get into survivor syndrome. Yeah. So 
if I sit quietly and don't say very much or don't engage or whatever it might be, I might survive. I might be saved. And so people start moving away from and disengaging from each other as well. And that's another place that I've seen community getting eroded. And it's potentially, I think, similar. My, my sense would be in a toxic work environment, there's a survivor syndrome going yeah. on as well. Yeah. I just need to look after Definitely. myself. Definitely. I just need to be looking after myself. So I think that the there's the element of, yeah, absolutely the exit plan. The other things that I would say before we get onto community is that it's not your fault. Uh, yeah. You need to be yeah. you need to be in that mode of being able to check in with yourself that, you know, what's going on is not your fault. That survivor syndrome bit is like keep away from the drama. If you can find trusted co-workers, then great. But that's why we're going to be talking yeah. about community because you often cannot doing that. And finding ways to cope or I was talking to you, wasn't I, about having after work rituals, just getting rid of the work day. So I would shower and wash off work. I love that. I wish I'd thought of that. When I get home. And I, and even when, even during COVID and I was working from home and everything, I still had a shower when my work day was over. And then the other thing that I'm allowed to do, because I do have my glorious husband, Ash, was that he would set a timer and I would allow be allowed to vent for 20 minutes about anything shit that had happened during the day. And then I had to stop. I also love that too. I really wish I had thought of that because I think it's really important that there are coping mechanisms and, and when I say coping mechanisms everybody who's going through anything stressful at work regardless of the toxicity levels or absence of toxicity and stress is not always mm. a bad thing stress can be a driver for and pressure can be a driver for the achievement of great things we do have to look after our mental health and we do need to look after our just general well-being and so there are lots of things that you can do to just rebalance and ease off the stress. Because I'm not suggesting that organisations putting on yoga classes on the rooftop is going to cure a toxic work environment. But finding something, whether it's yoga, whether it's mindfulness, whether it's meditation, whether it's that awesome thing, which I love now, of washing the day off or having your vent time with whoever is going to listen are really important. Because I've spent a lot of time working away from a home or my home or a place that I would call home and often working away from family and friends yeah. I created little rituals that effectively like I made a nest I would create a little home from home and what I used to do was, was focus on the senses so I would have things that were visual so you know pictures of family and friends pictures of things I love some affirmations all of those sort of things that just can lift your spirit a little bit. And then for smell, I would have, I used to carry scented candles with me everywhere mm -hmm. if I was allowed to, or room sprays or you know my favourite perfume, those sort of things. So that the place smells nice. And listening, things that you hear. Weirdly, I used to listen to Heart FM on mm. the internet because it reminded me of, of home. home. Yeah. And still to this day, even listening to it now, it, if I'm anxious, I can feel... That yourself settling it, yeah, that yeah. settles my or other things like your favorite music whatever or people's voices so yeah. talking to family and friends touch like like little fluffy things and i would have a fluffy blanket fluffy slippers actually took the fluffy slippers to work with me so yeah. if i was like if i was suddenly feeling the need i would just slip my feet into a pair of fluffy slippers you know cushions or, or whatever it is to make that nest and then taste 
I took Marmite with me everywhere mm. I went. My husband takes harissa, which is a yeah. crazy explosive volcanic <laughs> paste that's mental, but he takes it everywhere with him um, in case he can't find it. And um, yeah, just a little bit of Marmite on toast would just be like, okay, I'm, I feel like I'm... It feels yeah. like at home and that level of safety. Yeah. And, and it's other forms of connection and belonging. Yeah. Which brings us very nice back onto the question that you asked me originally <laughs> around why community is so important. And I think I said to you that community can be a community of two. It doesn't mm. need to be like a massive group. So having my venting partner yeah. sometimes is all I actually need. The communities that I find myself in and with what do they bring for me? The, the level of safety, somewhere where you can be truly seen and feel safe, where there is space that people are going to listen to you. There is collective wisdom. There's new ideas, alternative explanations for what's actually going on. But borrowed motivation, I often say as well, that you might not be feeling it, but somebody else gives you the energy bug again. That You're held to account a bit as well, because if you are in community, you show up, you feel like you stay responsible because it's not just about yourself because you get into that feeling of I might be letting other people down if I don't show up to whatever it might be, like choir, I do choir. So there's lots of other people there. I always feel gutted if I can't if I can't go because there's, and singing for me is something that absolutely gives me a different form of workout, but it makes me feel so settled. They do talk about singing being like yoga. You know, from a breathing capacity, yeah, yeah, from a breathing that. capacity, and it's all about diaphragm and your um, posture and everything else besides. So I find it quite a somatic practice for me. You know, that be my thing as well. But I love, I love the fact of just. I think one of the greatest things for me, and I definitely got to this when I started coaching and being in a coaching community, is about being really seen where you are with people who accept all of you, the, the light and the darker side of your personality and your traits and everything else besides. And I'm not suggesting that I don't get that with family or my friends from the army, like you, my love. But I think at the time I wasn't in a space to actually hear the perceptions, but it's like being back in community with people that I've known for a long, long time. And them saying, but that's not ever what I thought you were. Yeah. I always thought you were like this. We're, we're talking to people that I've worked with you know, on another podcast, somebody I've worked with and how they perceive me. And I think that I love the communities because you feel safe, you hear more. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a wonderful thing. It's a, there's a vulnerability to it, but you find those trusted people. You can have had the most toxic day, toxic week, month, year, years, whilst you are definitely and i agree with you creating an exit plan because that sometimes is the only outcome that finding those people where you can begin to feel safe again will give you a level of resilience to just continue to be nothing more than contend with what's happening in that workplace and, and until you can remove yourself yeah i think the resilience that that word is it's really important again it's, it's a, a word that's often overused but when you're in those situations and you're working still working on your exit plan you're effectively surviving rather than thriving yeah which is not an ideal yeah it's definitely not a, a something that should be a permanent state. it's not a, it's not a sustainable state yeah but you do need to find that resilience to be able to keep going even if it is just so that you can pay your mortgage or your yeah. rent or, or whatever it is, buy food. 
But I, yeah, I think that it's important, these building of tribes, communities, or finding them. And everybody at work, everybody should be building or finding their tribes and building their networks wherever they can find it. And while a lot of people do do it through work colleagues, as we've said, sometimes that's not possible where the trust has been eroded. I know that there's also online communities. I know that there's a, a Facebook group for women who work in the UN that is often I can see is acting as a, a place for people to vent or to ask for advice or about situations or to say, is what I'm experiencing normal? Um, and usually I think once you ask that question, the answer is no. Yeah. If you really are having to question that, you know, the level of gaslighting that occurs, mm. it can be extraordinary. And going back to that really important point that you made about the first thing you need to do is realise it's not your fault. Yeah. And it's not okay. Is this normal when people dismiss behaviour? Behavior? Oh, well, it's just, he's just got wandering hands. It's just his thing. He's an old guy. He means no harm. Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. That is not you. It's not okay. Anytime people go, oh, well, that behaviour, yeah, it's not good, but it's just him or her, then that's the time where management should be stepping in, HR should be stepping in and saying, fine, whether or not we want to keep this person, that behaviour is not acceptable. It's got to be called out. We do not accept it. And it is a very big red flag for me when bad behaviour cannot be called out. And particularly when a leader can't be called out on anything. If they won't be called out on anything and are so unable to be self-reflective or recognise that they're not allowed to carry out bad behaviour either, then that's a massive red flag for me. Yeah. And you start to look at that and think, there's likely to be at least toxic behaviour, if not a toxic work environment. Online communities, if that's all you've got. And for me, when I was working overseas, I, I've realised now I'm back and building network with new communities and, and finding my tribe. I don't think I'd realise how alone I felt. I don't think I realise how much I felt that I should just be like this mountain coping. Luckily, some of the time my husband and I were together and those were much happier times for me when I was working than when I was alone. And while I socialised, um, but I don't know that I had many people that I felt I could be... your be, trusted source. Yeah, I could, I, I could just be me unashamedly. Yeah. And also talk about or bounce ideas off where I was concerned about how to deal with something or what was being... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think... I, I really didn't have that... And I haven't had that for a very long time. And that's something I'm still processing at the moment as to how I'm 50-something. And I really have put a bubble around myself. But I absolutely hear you because I think that until I got into my coaching world, I was very similar. Not all of my experiences with the military were particularly brilliant in terms of camaraderie amongst the girls. I also ended up in the women, sorry, before I get corrected again. <laughs> but also I was a woman with stepchildren, but hadn't ever been a mother. So I felt really quite alienated from the mother community mm. until I had our youngest. I absolutely hear you about where do you find your communities? I've always come back to family, mm, yeah. always come back to family. And my family gets bigger and bigger. We're now into grandchildren and nieces, etc. now, but I love all of that. They are all my home. But yeah, I think similarly, it took me 
a long time to find out where I would settle. And do you know what I think that's about? Because when, for me, I can't speak for you, but for me, if you're not settled and at home with yourself, it's very difficult to settle with anyone else. Ash became my home very quickly, you know, my hubby. That's when I felt that strength of community there. But it brings me to the thing that you were talking about right at the beginning about the toxic level of leadership. If you remember when we were talking about non-violent communication and we talk about the power over versus the power with and the power within and that whole element of the power with that gets created from community. But I think that you can't find that power with if you're still having some level of question about what power you've got within. Yeah. That makes sense. So I think that, so I think that you living in a form of bubble, I absolutely hear that for myself as well. And I think we're both saying, don't do that because it's (laughs) not cool for yourself to be disconnected and not fit. But I do know where it comes from because I struggled for a while to work out where I belonged. Uh, yeah, and I think that on another episode, we talked about maybe messages we would have given to our younger selves. And there's a, a French saying that it's something along the lines of the, the words on the stair, which is when you remember what you wanted to say, but it's like the time is like too late. Yeah. You were supposed to say it 15 minutes ago. But actually, yeah, I, that sort of popped into my head as we've been talking, thinking that my advice to any young Men or women. You know. Don't go on a show parade with just stockings on. <laughs> well, That's what I'd be telling myself. That too. But no, because that, that would have re- removed just an apocryphal <laughs> story from Santa's. It would be that this idea that you don't have to, to do it alone. Really, you should embrace communities and close friendships and trust. And maybe I think there's obviously some issue that I have with trust. But certainly when I was younger and still doing this, you know, I'm one of the boys, ha-ha, and not engaging and embracing and, and valuing female friendships and then finding actually that the male friendships certainly didn't develop any really long-lasting deep friendships and um, now that I have got older and really appreciate some of the strength in female relationships some of the women that I hang out with for various different reasons how amazing they are. And I I guess maybe that, I know you don't live with regret. I definitely live with regret. I think that maybe that's something that I wish I had done at a younger age. Maybe yeah, I wasn't right. ready. I don't know. But I certainly recognise that for a lot of time, I felt very alone, that I felt I had to be, I was responsible for an awful lot on my shoulders that, that eventually sort of pile-dried me into the ground. Yeah. So you're sitting there talking, thinking... Yeah, probably similar, but I also know I wasn't ready. I I ran away from school friends. I ran away from uni friends. I ran away from army friends, female friends I'm talking about here. It wasn't really until our youngest came along and I realised that I got to start to learn to how to rub along with mums at the school gate that I actually properly bothered my ass to realize just quite how wonderful women were. I think I said to you recently, and I still think this holds true, and it's probably the same for you, maybe. I'd be better off hanging out on a stag do than I would a hen do. But what I like, and it brings us all the way back to what does community look like? I like community with everybody in it. 
I like the male energy as well as the female energy. I hold them both in high esteem now, not one more than the other. But I think that there is something very refreshing about that collective mind. You've got so many alternatives and I love, and I think that that's one of the other things for hanging out in family. I love the multi-generational element to it as well. That, you know, we go from 86 down to 18 months. Yeah. I love that because there's so much, it's, a, it's such an abundance of stuff to actually learn. And I find that really cool. But yeah, I'm with you that I'm so pleased that I'm back in proper contact with people that I might have left behind for a while, but they're back into the chapters for my crone years, if yes. that's what it's called. It is crone years. Um, and there's something very comforting about people who <coughs> have known me when I was younger, like you. <laughs> yeah, I guess because there's, there is an element of we've seen each other at sometimes at our worst or at our lowest or where we've particularly known people at Santa's when we are sort of broken apart and yeah. in theory put back together again. It's like, like, Lego, yeah. missing, like missing a bit. Okay, oh, there's a piece missing. Where is it? It's oh, they appear the to have taken my heart. <laughs> yeah, I, so I'm, I guess community is a it's so important for so many reasons and it's not something you're just going to say oh i need community when i'm in a toxic environment but having community can bolster your resilience when you are dealing with either just dealing with a highly stressful situation or or toxicity the other thing i just wanted to just flag up is that this issue of a boss who is a bad boss who is not always, I think we need to be careful that it's not always that that person is a, a bad, terrible, evil person, you know, turning them into a demon or a witch or however yeah. you want to personify them. I think they we, are we human just too. need to be careful. They are human too. And there may be reasons like I genuinely believe that the majority of awful bosses that I will not name either are, are completely unaware of the devastation that they are causing, that they really do think, a bit like this Dominic Grubb issue, surprised that anybody would turn around and say, question you are a toxic yeah. boss. And they would go, what, me? What, me? me? No, what? I'm a nice person. Yeah. And I think the proportion of toxic bosses who are genuinely evil geniuses are, are few and far between. I do think that there's a level of emotional immaturity or lacking emotional intelligence in bosses who have these toxic traits yeah. or create these environments. But we also don't know the level of pressure or what's coming down the pipeline. Because for me, particularly, where you have toxic bosses, it's not just them. Usually there's a culture behind that is either empowering them or they've just it's learned behavior from their bosses who are behaving in exactly the same way or are turning a blind eye to others. And so I do think that we, in terms of how we change it, uh, again, often it's not about just changing that one person. Situations where one boss has been removed who, who might have been described as toxic and then another one has replaced them and that hasn't changed what's going on or it's made it worse because actually it's, it's not just limited to that individual it's the culture that exists that facilitates empowers that sort of behavior or those sorts of behaviors and we're just looking at 
as if we put like a photocopy machine, like we put it in here, the people who work for us just spur out work. No acknowledgement of the fact that people do their best work when they are happy, contented, Mm. feel fulfilled, Maslow's hierarchy, all of those things have to be in place. It's not just a matter of we pay you to get on and do it. I I guess I'm sitting here going, absolutely, it doesn't take one person. It's the cultural thing. And then we've said, if it's the cultural thing and there's no safety to actually speak up, how the hell does anything ever get changed? Which leads me to think, that is the moment that you have to try to find the community. Mm. So it is multiple voices who call it out, not just one lone voice that will get stamped on, removed in the dead of night, never to be seen again. Uh, Yeah. And then everything just goes back to normal in inverted commas. And I'm not saying that that's easy by any stretch Mm. of the imagination when the culture is like that, but it has to start somewhere. We're back to the ripple effect that I often talk about, that it takes, I'm not gonna say it takes one, I'm gonna say it takes two plus. So that you feel that you've got some unity, some safety, you're not gonna be standing up there by yourself to call out whatever it actually is. Look at the Me Too movement. Yeah, Okay. So that that was, you know, women have been complaining about sexual harassment and sexual assaults in the film industry and to be clear it's not just in the film industry but for years it's always been a sort of snigger it's a standing joke you see it in the casting couch etc etc and the sense of entitlement of certain people in power that they can grab a pussy and nobody says anything because i'm rich and powerful then suddenly this wave came and so there were ripples and then it just became a tsunami and it was really interesting to see People's faces, and men's faces particularly, when, you know, if you were in a room and somebody said, me too, and then you'd watch the hands go up in a room. And actually, most men I knew, I know, were really shocked. I remember somebody just started posting hashtag me too on Facebook, and just, I posted it. And I had so many metal friends contact me and go, are you okay? Mm. Seriously, I'm not talking about happened yesterday. This is like, I said, you find me a woman out of all your female, the females that you know, there will be at least four or five who will say me too. I'd expect more, quite frankly. I think you'd struggle to find one who said not me too. Yeah. But for many men, that was a real, God, I had no idea. Because I think if we're in that mode that we've just talked about, in particularly yeah. for the two of us who felt a little bit alone, we're not going to be the person to stand up and do it as one that one needs to become two or or I don't even know how to explain it but I think that there is a lot of us who were willing to actually say it at that point in time but never really said it at the time yeah absolutely not said it before um I think on that note on that strong note we're going to leave this conversation I think that certainly anyone who starts to feel alone, is it's the time to find innovative ways to have community because there's a lot of C's when we start talking through leadership. I'm always fascinated by that, you know, community, conversation, communication, curiosity. curiosity. But community really is important at all levels. But I do think we've been to, when we talked about upcoming leaders, leaders who are developing, who are growing, the community is so important. Find there. people like you yeah. to share experience and be willing 
to actually start the conversation there of, I don't know. Yeah. I would like some help. Can you help? Awesome. Right then. Nice one. Bye. ta Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments, you can get in touch on our website or on our podcast page on Spotify. We'd love to hear from you. You'll also find information on some of the resources we discussed. Next week, we're chatting about embodying your values in authentic leadership in being your authentic self or keeping it